0: The 2021 college football season has hit its midpoint, but CFP Winning Edge and the CFP Winning Edge podcast have already shattered full season records for Patreon support, downloads, and listens. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show, and especially to those of you who are willing to offer your support at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. As we prepare for the second half, we will also be looking ahead to the improvements we can make to our 2022 FBS team profiles and new content we'll be able to offer next season. If you would like to support this show or receive access to our weekly projections and more, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to sign up.
1: Welcome back, everybody! It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined as always by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E. Nick, week eight was uh, week seven was a fun one for everyone. Hopefully, week eight will be a fun one. Another, uh, you know, Texas loss in the second half for me, so I didn't enjoy it as much, but uh, the rest of the games were a lot of fun how did we end up looking for week number seven?
0: Yeah it, it was a uh, it was a good week good week for us as far as the numbers go uh, which was nice we'd had some you know some bumpy spots here and there but it was probably our most solid week to date we uh, posted a, a pretty good number against the spread uh, 56.9% officially in our projections that we released to our Patreon supporters. We were actually a, a couple of percentage points better in the uh, collegefootballdata.com pick'em contest. I've been putting those in the last couple of weeks, but later in the week. Uh, so they're a little bit different after some line, line movement, but we uh, were fortunate enough to, to win that uh, this past week with our uh, against the spread performance, as well as some of the other um, you know, just projection uh, data stuff, how close we are to, uh, you know, the error of what actually happened. Uh, had a good week as far as wrong teams favored. That continues to be our best spot. And uh, we were three and one in it. We were nine and six on all three agree, which is much, much needed. But as for the games themselves, I mean, it was another uh, really exciting week. You know, Georgia uh, continues to really impress. Looks like a historic Defense. Uh, Number two, Iowa, of course, went down. That offense finally, uh, you know, sunk their chances, just not able to to move the football. And it it really ended up uh, finally, uh, you know, leading to their first loss of the season. We had some big time teams survive close calls like Oregon, Michigan State, Ole Miss. Uh, You mentioned Oklahoma State has stayed undefeated. Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Alabama were all. Uh, impressive to to various degrees, and then you know another week with uh, seemingly you know at least a handful of ranked teams losing every week. And this week it was Arkansas, Arizona State, BYU, and Florida. So uh, pretty exciting stuff on the field. Looking ahead at week eight, not you know as many uh, premier matchups, but that's seemingly when we often get a lot of unexpected results as well.
1: So I'm sure it'll be uh, you know another great week when we're talking about it this time next week absolutely and xavier what did you see from week seven that you liked a lot of uh a lot of stuff happened for sure
2: yeah i mean it was a very entertaining week uh at least um i think nick and i uh, had some talks during the week uh during the weekend nick called a lot of games correctly uh this weekend he uh, and i had to give him his kudos on that first and foremost uh secondly how about that tennessee game guys i mean people who uh would like to st- tune into the podcast uh you know golf balls and yellow mustard who knew it was such a you know a volatile combination Uh, to say the least. Uh, But outside of that, it was, it was, it was a really, really good week of football. Um, Even in, I don't think we had any massive blowouts either, even in that Kentucky Georgia game, as much as, you know, the scoreline finished 30 to 13, I think it was still a very competitive matchup for, for, for a large part of that game, especially in the first half in particular, Um, you know, Baylor and BYU was a really fun game to watch. Obviously Purdue and Iowa was a game that you had to keep your eye on the entire time. And then PAC 12 after dark did not fail us whatsoever with a, with one hell of a game in Arizona state and Utah. So, I think that it was a really, really good week of football. Um, And I think we're having, and I told Nick, uh, I put it in the group chat. I said, I think this was the week that could have been. Uh, When you look at these matchups, there were so many possible ranked versus ranked matchups when you look at just this week alone and we'll go through some of them. Uh, But I was just looking at this week. I was like, man, if everything had a panned out like it was supposed to quote unquote this week would have been just, you know, ranked versus ranked throughout the board.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and Nick and I did talk a little bit about the stuff that happened in tenant, uh, Tennessee where, um, you know, it just got ugly. So, but yeah, there was, there's sure. there's a lot of that this weekend. So, you know, at least in my brain, there was because of, uh, you know, Texas blowing a second half late for the second week <laughs> in a row, just not a lot of fun, but uh good week uh, against the numbers, but let's skip forward and talk about week eight here. And, when we look at this one, Nick, uh, there are some confusing lines. So, what lines for Week Eight have you uh, the most confused as it stands right now?
0: There, there weren't a ton of super obvious ones, at least to me. Uh, that and I think out doesn't that
1: happen in, in like the later in the season we get, Nick? I didn't mean to cut you off yeah, here, no, but uh, it, it's we kind of start to figure out what these teams are all about. Uh, there's of course, it's still college football, so there's going to be wild swings, you know, Um is going to play hard against Ohio State and lose to bowling green and then win this weekend against Nebraska who'd been playing well, right? You're going to get that roller coaster with mm-hmm. a lot of the teams, but uh, I feel like for the most part, there's going to be less confusing lines the deeper we get in the season because we just kind of know what these teams are all about at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, our our projections and a lot of other folks' uh, projections are getting tighter and tighter, it seems, to uh, what the odds makers have, what the market has. And and so that, I think you're, you're absolutely right, is definitely part of it, that, you know, by this point in the season, we're moved completely away in most cases from um, – you know preseason expectations, things like that, and we're we're evaluating whether it's numerically or just with, uh, you know, our eyes and and things like that. We're more so evaluating what we see on the field completely, and and not worried as much about uh expectations coming in and and things like that. So yeah, I think I think that's a a, a really good point. Um, a couple that did, I guess, kind of pique my interest a little bit. Uh, Wyoming is favored by twenty against New Mexico. And you know Wyoming's been good. They've had some you know good performances earlier in the year. They've had some shaky performances as well. Nearly lost uh, to UConn, who by the way finally you know got their win big uh, big last week. <laughs> Were able to to beat Yale. Um, but Wyoming is one of those teams, and you know I, I feel like uh, Iowa's kind of like this. Obviously, I, I feel like Northwestern can certainly be like this. In certain cases, Oklahoma State uh, a little bit. But there are certain teams, certain programs that I just, I never really feel great if we're on the side of them as a big favorite. uh, Or, you know, if we're going against them, if they're an underdog. I feel like those teams and programs do a really good job, uh, you know, or just sort of their style. They want to keep things close. Uh, They don't necessarily blow a lot of people out. They have a tendency to kind of disappoint a little bit when expectations are higher, uh, but they're often well coached and and are able to, to uh, keep games, you know, at least close, if not pull off uh, wins that they wouldn't necessarily be expected to, to pull off based on their talent profile uh, against teams that are more talented. So this this week for Wyoming, you know, they're a 20 point favorite, even though New Mexico, has not been good uh, has been really bad against the spread this year um, has lost its starting quarterback in Terry Wilson not sure he's been officially ruled out but uh, we don't expect him to play and so you know we're on Wyoming to cover the 20 and I just don't feel don't feel very good about that that's a that's a big big number for Wyoming on the flip side the other one that that struck me somewhat similarly, is michigan being favored by 23 and a half against northwestern i mean that's the same thing i just said northwestern you know doesn't always look great as a uh a favorite um and and i don't necessarily feel good when we're on them as a you know uh, to cover a a touchdown or more but i usually feel pretty good uh, you know if we're on them as an underdog obviously they got blown out in a huge way by nebraska earlier this year so it doesn't always go to plan but 23 and a half even against a Michigan team that's looked so good also seems like a really big number this seems like could definitely be a you know an ugly game that Michigan uh kind of has to sneak out of there with a win to get to next week's undefeated matchup with Michigan State seems more like you know yeah Michigan should be favored based on you know talent based on what's happened on the field this year by at least two touchdowns three is not you know uh, it's not crazy by any stretch, but they just, this just feels like a game that Northwestern is really going to try to, you know, muddy up, make it ugly, make Michigan, you know, win in an ugly way. And maybe they win by seven, maybe they win by 10. Our numbers think they're going to win by, you know, 24 or more. I don't feel great about it. If it happens, I will celebrate. If it doesn't, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll not be surprised.
1: Uh, Xavier, when you look ahead to week eight here, are there any lines that
2: stand out to you as kind of confusing like Nick has said? Yeah. You know, I'll be honest. UCLA being a two-point favorite over Oregon for me is a little surprising. Uh, I understand that Oregon lost last week to California. And they're not looking like one of the best teams in the country. They've also lost CJ Verdell, which obviously has hurt their running game a little bit. And Anthony Brown has definitely taken some steps back since that win at Ohio State. But this is still my favorite, or got to be one of the favorites in the Pac 12 at this point. You know, this is a team that I still think is far more talented than what, you know, UCLA is. Uh, I think UCLA has also taken regressions in the last couple of weeks as well, especially on the defensive end. Um, they've been able to run the f- football very effectively. However, they have not been able to really stop anybody. And uh, I think that coming into this game, something's out of to give. Both of these teams rely very heavily on the run game. And so one run game is going to work and one run game isn't. And, and really just depend. you know, um, I think when it comes down to it, I trust Oregon's talent versus UCLA's talent in this regard. And I, and I would have UCLA, uh, Oregon, excuse me, favored in, in this game. I wouldn't have them going in as an underdog. Uh, I understand it being so close as possible. Probably why that's the case. But UCLA just being a, a two point favorite over a team that, you know, I still think is, is still the highest ranked or maybe one of the higher ranked uh, Pac-12 teams uh, still left. So I'm I'm surprised by that one. Um, another one for me that I'm surprised about is Iowa State over Oklahoma State. I'm perfectly honest with you. I don't get it. Um, you know, I was and I'm a huge Iowa State guy. As we as we know, in the preseason, I was, you know, blowing the Iowa State horn uh, as them being the Big 12 favorite. And they've obviously not lived up to that. You know billing uh this year i mean i understand that they're starting to get, catch their footing a little bit but i still think the same problems that they've had at the beginning of the season, uh, still remain. Brock Purdy has not become the quarterback that we all thought he could or would need to be uh, for them to take that next step. Uh, they still rely a little bit too much on Brees Hall in that running game, and the defense hasn't played as well as they did last season. On the flip side, you've got Oklahoma State coming off of an, of an impressive comeback, winning over uh, over Texas, and they continue to just prove everybody wrong. You know, two weeks ago, I thought they would lose to Kansas State in that ranked unranked matchup. Last week, I picked, I picked Texas over them as well, and they continue to prove us wrong and they continue to win ball games. So for Iowa State to be ranked uh, to be picked over them once. again Again, it's just a little confusing to me because it's like, have you been watching the games enough for what has Iowa State done in the last two weeks, three weeks for them to all of a sudden be picked as a touchdown favorite over the highest, the second highest ranked Big Twelve team outside of Oklahoma? It's just surprising.
1: I mean, you definitely picked. We the will game. get to that. Yeah, <laughs> we will get to a bunch of those games, but you definitely picked a bunch of them where I'm like, yeah, that's why we're talking about. It. Like, they they are very very. Uh, c- confusing this week. Some of those, but I mean, some of these teams have been confusing. It's like I was talking about with Nick about, uh, you know, Minnesota has been. Uh, I'm just done. I'm done trying to predict Minnesota at all whatsoever this season. They almost beat Ohio State week one. They lose to Bowling Green. Nebraska starts to get you know good again, and they beat the tar out of Nebraska. Like I just don't know what i'm gonna get from uh minnesota on a week-to-week basis but uh nick for week eight what games show the biggest edge in our model and is this a good thing or a bad thing in your opinion
0: well last week it turned out to be a good thing more often than not we we talked about three games we went two and one in those games and i actually i, I still feel like we were on the right side of the one that we lost the north carolina at miami game north carolina had Plenty of opportunity to, to pull away in that one. Uh this week there are fewer with that big of a, a number difference in, in our projection and what the current spread is or, or the official spread when we released it. Uh and I I don't feel quite as good about this pair as uh I did the the three we talked about last week. We have Cincinnati, who's a 27 and a half point favorite uh officially. We have them favored by basically 40 points against Navy and Navy, you know, I can repeat a lot of the things I said about Wyoming and Northwestern. They're, they're in that uh, mold where if, if they are able to dictate the tempo of the game uh, they can just sort of take the opposing offense out of it in part, because, you know, you might not get the ball Uh, Cincinnati is far, far and away a better, more talented team than Navy, but the style that Navy plays sometimes, uh, you know, as, as is often the case with a triple option team, service academy team can really, really shrink that talent advantage. So 27 and a half is a big number. I think Cincinnati, you know, I don't often talk about uh, motivational factors and other things that we can't see in the numbers, but Cincinnati has a little bit of that because they are, you know, having to to try to put together a playoff resume. So if they have every opportunity to cover 28, I think they will try to do it um it's just gonna be you know, will they get it will they get the ball enough uh, and will they be as dominant to force you know three and outs and, and short drives for Navy because if Navy can move the chains, they will try to bleed that clock as much as possible. Uh, another one, a little bit weird, NC State uh, has been a, a kind of a tricky team for our models so far this year. We talked about them in that game against uh, Mississippi State, where it was like, why in the world is is uh, you know this spread so close? And then uh, Mississippi State ends up winning that game. But NC State in every other game has looked really, really good, looked good last week against Boston College. They're playing Miami, who has not looked good, um, has had a ton of injuries in, in some key spots. But when this line opened, uh, Miami was a very slight, favorite and part of it they do still have a talent edge uh the game is uh at miami which is uh you know a little bit of home field advantage there of course um but our numbers at least the uh team strength power rating model our official model is way on the side of nc state think that they should be favored by double digits the other two models um that we you know use to kind of uh see, uh, you know, a different view of the game, one based solely on our talent numbers, one based solely on statistical and team performance numbers, those still lean toward Miami. So it's it's, uh, a game where uh, our projections are a little bit all over the place, uh, but officially think that this is a game that NC State uh, should not only be favored, but should be favored by double digits. So that one's that one's a little bit, you know, maybe that could have been on the confusing list as well. But um, but I think the reason why it's it's not as much is because, you know, we can look at those other two models and, and say, OK, this is actually much, you know, on, on much closer footing, much more even footing. Uh, if you just strip out certain aspects of the projection to see that Miami does, you know, have some advantages in this game, but uh, put it all together put our, you know, coaching information, all of our team stuff, our injuries and, and all of that, um, this this looks like a game on paper. I think NC State should win relatively easily, even on the road.
2: Question. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just want to ask this question before we continue about the lines, about a specific line in particular. Mm-hmm. Louisville has a touchdown favorite over Boston College. I am a little confused by this. I understand that Boston College obviously is—you know—they haven't won the last two weeks. They looked pretty, uh, pretty bad last week against NC State. But when you're talking about the two teams in which they played, they lost to Clemson at home or on the road. <clears throat> excuse me, news—they they lose to NC State at home. You're talking about probably two of the best teams in the ACC. You know, as, as bad as the ACC has been as a conference this year, those are probably two of the top, maybe three or four teams in the ACC right now. And when I look at Louisville, Louisville's probably been just as rough the last two weeks and their last win came, you know, two weeks ago, you know, and for me, or three weeks ago, excuse me. And and for me, I just don't see how both teams trajectories are, have been downward. You could sit there and say that Louisville is a touchdown favorite over Boston college. But when I look at their, their, you know, their respective wins, I think Boston college has been a little bit more impressive for the people in the teams that in which they have beaten over Louisville beating, you know, Florida state by eight and a UCF team by seven where you look at Boston College, you see Boston College was able to beat you know beat a Missouri team, and, and you know I, I just for me, I would lean more side the Boston College, and I would to Louisville coming into that game.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I'm glad you brought that one up. It, it's it's an interesting discussion because uh, one, it gives me an excuse to talk about something that I put together last week, sort of at, at the midway point. Uh, this comes in part from my. Coaching background, but also uh, you know they do things like this in plenty of other industries as well. But it was a, a good time of the year to look back and and you know look at some quality control. What are the things that we're doing right? What are some things uh, that we've done wrong? Can make some improvements on. And I went back and, and ran the numbers on those other two models: the Talent Edge and the uh, Prism Projected Scoring Margin model, which I've been pretty vocal about. Neither of those. Uh, had adjustments for home field advantage, and the idea was that uh, they would, uh, you know, they they were designed to look only at talent, only at stats, respectively, and you know, home field is just something else that that is not talent, not stats. But going back through our results for the first half of the season. Um, and in part because we use those two models to declare whether or not a particular game is an all three agree where all three uh projections fall on the same side. Well, if we're, if we're grading ourselves against the spread, it, it really is at a disadvantage to us to not do uh, a home field advantage adjustment. I went and you know, look back, had we included home field advantage in those two models the numbers would have improved across the board. Uh, The talent edge model, the Prism model, both uh, added uh, over 20 percentage points to their results against the spread. Had we done it, our all three agree would have added 50 percentage points. Um, It was an obvious change to make. We actually did implement it this week. And the reason I bring it up is because this Boston College at Louisville game, uh, had we not changed our home field advantage, and and this is reflected in our FBS team profiles where we have all the uh, projections listed for each game, Uh, it now does include that 2.5 points for home field advantage. If we didn't, this would be a Boston College all three agree because our official model, we have Louisville as a a 5.2-point favorite, and in the uh, PRISM model, again, without home field advantage, it would be basically dead even the talent edge model is the one that flipped. We, it, Without the two and a half points, uh, Louisville would have had uh, like a, a 3.8 point uh, uh, projected point spread in our talent edge model. But because of the extra two and a half points for home field advantage, it bumps up to 6.37, so just over the six there. Um, but one thing that you brought up that is – I think worth noting, you mentioned the games that they won and, and, you know, Boston college won this game, Louisville lost its last two games and the way we, you know, the way our numbers work, and this is probably true for a lot of, uh, projection models out there. I know it is for, uh, SP plus pretty sure it is for, you know, uh, football power index and, and a lot of the, uh, sort of bigger names, but our projections don't care at all, whether you won a game or lost a game. It, the, it cares about should you have won or lost the game. And Louisville is a really interesting uh, team to bring up because they lost to Wake Forest. They lost to Virginia uh, officially. And, and that matters. You know, If we're talking about a playoff spot or a conference championship, all that, yeah, wins absolutely matter. But when you're looking at it, at least the way that we feel is best to project future performance – uh, we look more at the post-game win expectancy in and collegefootballdata.com. And I've mentioned before, I, I I like theirs. I use theirs for uh, 2020. I had what I thought had access to a, a little bit uh, better, maybe more sophisticated version of post-game win expectancy in uh, our 2020 uh, numbers. But uh, using college football data, which I, I do think is really good, uh, Louisville had an 87% post-game win expectancy against Wake Forest and a 98% post-game win expectancy against Virginia. So if you were to play those games again and have the exact same, uh, you know, stats, basically, you would expect Louisville to win both of those games fairly easily. It just means, you know, whether it was a uh, kind of a fluky fumble luck thing, uh whether it was, and I don't remember specifically the the turning points in those two games. Uh so I'm being kind of vague here. But you know, it might have been um a special teams play. It might have been um just sort of, you know, some really uh unexpected uh field position things, you know, and, and some of those are really, really difficult to replicate. But it appeared at least looking back at, at, the box score after the game, you would have expected Louisville to win both of those games. And, you know, had they won both of those games, then they probably would have been a, a bigger favorite here. Um, and then, you know, Boston college is, has uh, lost, you know, its last two games, but in a much, much different manner, even though the game was really close against Clemson, those postgame win expectancy numbers uh only had Boston College with a 13% chance to win. So if you played that game, you know, again the next week you would have expected Clemson to uh you know win by double digits and, and what have you. Uh the NC State game it was 0%. So they just, you know, they were just beat up in in that game. Uh Boston College also, you know, lost its starting quarterback and and so they've uh fallen considerably in their power rating um, in in roster strength numbers they're 82nd and a large part of that is because they had you know a future nfl quarterback it looked like who's now unavailable and they're relying on uh former walk on and and so there are different different factors there and it's a tough game to kind of wrap your head around for for me to wrap your head around and, and part of it is our projections are so close um but yeah, it just sort of gave me a, an excuse there to, to mention that it would have been an all three. Now it's not because we made that change. But otherwise, you know, it's it's a projection that our numbers at least see it pretty pretty closely to uh, what the odds makers had at, at Louisville favored by six. We expect Boston College to cover, you know, just barely. Our projection's 5.22. Final score prediction, 32-27. Um, but uh, it, it seems to be a fairly evenly matched game, but it is kind of interesting to look at, you know, their performance in past weeks. And even though both are coming in off of, of two straight losses, those losses were quite different, at least statistically speaking.
1: All right. So I don't know if that on. answered your question. Just gave <laughs> me a That was pretty to- thorough, man. You know, <laughs> I think, I think he got it covered there, but let's yep. move ahead. Uh, are you, are, are you good Xavier? We all, I'm good. Up? Oh, yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Uh, um, so let's move ahead and look at week eight here. And we're going to start with Nick's games. And I love that you picked this one because I was thinking about picking it myself, Nick. Clemson at Pitt. Uh, Pitt is a three and a half point favorite. Uh, the over under is 48. I don't remember the last time Clemson and Pitt played where Pitt was the ranked team and Clemson wasn't, but we have that going on here. And Pitt is favored. So how do we see this one playing out, Nick?
0: I. I was pretty surprised when our first, uh, you know, updated look-ahead line early, early Sunday morning uh, came out and showed that Pitt was favored in this game. I wasn't sure that when the, uh, you know, when the circa uh, line came out Sunday afternoon that they would be. I-, I thought there was still a pretty good chance maybe it'd be a pick'em, um, maybe Clemson would be a one or two point favorite. Uh, but it ended up that that Pitt was favored, and the early, uh, you know, early line movement has been on, or, or you know, early in the week was on Pitt. Uh, so the the line actually uh, moved. I think they they opened it two uh, at circa, if I'm not mistaken, and and by the time we got to it uh, officially on Tuesday evening, um, uh, Pitt was favored by three and a half. So, uh, you know, I, our other two models our our talent edge model and our stats only model, which takes into account, uh, like the last three years of results in addition to performance this year, but it's a a weighted three-year average there, uh, or I guess four-year average if you include this year, but, uh, you know, Clemson obviously is still really highly regarded in that, Model uh, because they were an elite team the the previous three years of, of that so they're you know coming in with team performance ratings every year in the top five uh, it, it's the way that one is constructed doesn't see you know a, a team that ranked 18th and right now in our our 2021 only power ratings uh, because it, it's taken into account other other years the talent edge is you know, pretty similar talent. Clemson's talent profile is still that of a top 10 team. They rank ninth in our roster strength ratings, third in defensive roster strength, and they still have a really good defense. So, you know, they're playing at a top 10 level in defensive team performance. They're eighth in that uh, number. And so, you know, you, you, even though you combine that with an offense that ranks 101st, in team performance, including 114th in passing team performance, they're still a top 50 team on the field. You combine that with uh, you know this great talent profile, and you know we we still think they're a top 20 team. So it's understandable that Clemson would be favored in in two of those uh, models. I was a little bit surprised that Pitt was favored in the other, but our numbers have been pretty high on Pitt all year. Uh, there was a significant portion of the off season where Pitt was our number three team in the ACC. Uh, There was even a a very brief period uh, when I did an update in late July, I believe, uh, where Pitt snuck into the number two spot. And, you know, we've, we've talked plenty of times about how it's difficult to trust Pitt, and we've already seen one example of that when they lost to Western Michigan, uh, a game they should have lost, by the way. Their postgame win expectancy was 37%, but they've been great in every other game. Um, a 100% postgame win expectancy in four games, including last week against Virginia Tech, where the defense really showed up when the offense that had carried them uh, you know, through the first five games wasn't quite as explosive as it looked. Kenny Pickett wasn't quite, you know, now he's shooting up draft boards uh, kind of, you know, somewhat unexpectedly based on his early season play, uh, but, you know, kind of took a a little bit of a a step back, at least the offense as a whole, um, last week against Virginia Tech, but the defense was good enough that they still, you know, won the game in a a fairly uh, dominant uh, method, but, you know, 92% against Tennessee, which, based on the way Tennessee played the last few weeks, you know, now looks like a uh, maybe their most impressive win to date. They haven't played a very, very difficult schedule. Coming into the year, they rank 64th in our strength of schedule numbers, which is on the very low end of uh, Power 5 teams. And Clemson so far, you know, has to be considered the best team that they will have played. So it will be interesting to see, you know, can Pitt quite live up to this uh, level of play that they've shown so far. They've played like a top 10 team. They're 8th in team performance overall. They're top 20 on both sides of the ball, including number one in passing offense, which is not what I would have expected at all uh, in the preseason, but you combine that with a, a pretty solid talent profile. They're 21st in overall roster strength, 14th in offensive roster strength, and you know, at least on paper, this is a team that can compete with Clemson. Um, Will they, you know, be able to stay consistent like they've looked the last few weeks after that Western Michigan loss? Have they kind of gotten that out of their system? And and are they truly, uh, you know, one of, if not the team to beat in the ACC? I'm still a little bit skeptical. And our numbers, you know, we've been on clemson a lot early and it has not worked out against the spread i mean we you know uh we we were on georgia in week one and and that worked out but i think we had clemson covering against georgia tech they did not nc state they lost that game outright you know uh we were on them to cover against boston college uh, and then finally, we caught up a little bit and, and just were barely on uh, Syracuse last week and and were able to to uh, get that one. But, uh, you know, perhaps I'm still just too slow to give up on Clemson, but I, I feel like this is a game that they can win. And it is back-to-back road games. That's always a, a difficult spot for any team. Um, they do get... Uh, an extra, you know, day to prepare because of the uh, the, the Syracuse game being a weeknight game last week. Um, but this is this is a tricky one. I could see Pitt winning and slightly covering our official uh, final score predictions 28-24. That seems you know about right. 27-21 wouldn't surprise me. 24-20 wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but me personally, I kind of feel like this is a game that, you know, Clemson's going to find a way to win and then just sort of keep itself in line to get to that ACC championship game and, and you know, probably win it. So I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be um, probably kind of ugly Uh we officially, you know, if Pitt wins by a touchdown, great, that's a win for us, uh, but this kind of feels like maybe, uh, you know, I, I mentioned those scores 24-21, something like that. That seems about right, but maybe with Clemson coming out ahead, uh, just kind of my my gut feeling,
1: uh, but officially we're on Pitt to, to win and cover. I feel like everyone's had this gut feeling about Clemson and they just haven't done it yet. Right. And that's, that's how I felt going into the Syracuse game. Cause I know Syracuse plays them hard every single year. So maybe it wasn't as surprising to see, uh, Syracuse in their own house play super hard. But what do you think of this game? Xavier? Cause this, uh, I know you're a Kenny Pickett fan, uh, but, I think the gut and everything says, ah, Clemson's probably going to win this game. Just it's going to be a low-scoring one this year. But we just haven't seen that killer instinct from Clemson this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, Clemson's an OT loss away from probably still being ranked in the top 25 and being first in their division in the Coastal. Uh, so, or in the Atlantic, excuse me. So I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Clemson were to win this ballgame. You're absolutely right. Both you and Nick said it. When is Clemson... When it was the the, the flip, the the, the switch going to flip. We were are just waiting for all of that talent to just click, and, and maybe it doesn't. You know, maybe they it doesn't ever click for the rest of the season, and we and we sit there and we go, that was a bad year, right? Yeah. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, it, as their schedule currently stands, they have two ranked teams still on their schedule, in, in Pittsburgh this week, and then Wake Forest. If Wake Forest continues to win on November twentieth, this is still a team that could very well end up in the ACC championship game. Probably be top 15, top 10, and still make a New Year's Six Bowl. And probably for all considerations, as the season is gone for them, that would be a win-win-win for them. As, they, as how bad they'd look this year on the offensive side of the football, that would be a win for them. To be able to, to, to put that all together and to, and to run that out. Now, obviously, they would need NC State to lose at some point because NC State owns the tiebreaker. But... I, 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 in my opinion, Clemson still, for to, to, for all intents and purposes, still controls their own destiny. Um, so I think Clemson wins this game. I, I don't want to pick them. I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I really
1: don't.
2: <laughs> I, I, as Scott alluded to, I am a huge Kenny Pickett fan. He has taken that next step this year. Uh, to Nick's credit, though, Kenny Pickett hasn't necessarily played the, the most, you know, daunting of a schedule this, thus far. Uh, so the numbers may be infl- inflated a little bit. This will easily be the best defense he probably plays all season. Now, what I will say is that they did get a decent tune-up game last week against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech secondary has been very good this year. Um, you know They gave Notre Dame a run for their money just in a week prior. So it's not like Kenny Pickett has played complete cupcakes up until this point. However, he will probably revert back to the, the running back linebacker version of Kenny Pickett this week, having to run for his life and possibly run over a few defenders to win this ball game. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to pick Clemson in the upset. I think Clemson wins this game. I think it for, for, for the for, all, for it clicks for them this week. Uh, I think the offense just does enough like they've done over the last two weeks to win this game for them in the defense. Once again, holds it holds pit to maybe 14 points, 17 points, allowing the offense to literally do the bare minimum to win this ball game. Um, you know, I think Pitt for all what they have going for them, like I said, Kenny Pickett hasn't played a defense this strong yet. He hasn't played a defense that has yet to give up, what, outside of the OT game, more than 20 points in a a game this season. So I don't see why that defense would all of a sudden stop being able to play this well just because it's Pittsburgh coming into town or going up to Pittsburgh, excuse me. So, you know, and and from Pitt's perspective – maybe this is the week that they finally let up again. You know, they, they, their defense is susceptible to giving up points. And even though Clemson looks like they're trying to do literally everything to stop themselves from scoring, maybe Pittsburgh is the is the game is the week that they figure it out. You know, P- uh, Clemson hasn't had to get up for a game like this since NC State, really. And I don't even think – and, Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think NC State came into that game ranked. So if yeah, they I think, think this right. is the first ranked on ranked, or ranked team that they will be playing since Georgia – so if any time to figure it out and to, you know, get, you know, get up for a game well here you go, you got an opportunity, you're going into Pittsburgh. So it's a hostile environment as well. And it's a ranked game. And it's probably, if not one of the biggest game on the docket this weekend for college football. So all eyes are going to be on you once again Uh, to, you know, to see a lot of people are going to be hate watching this game, hoping that Clemson falters, falters. So they know that, <laughs> you know, that's bulletin board material coming into this game alone. So, I think Clemson wins this game. I think do it. they do it based off their defense once again, and they're able to shut down Kenny Pickett and make you know Pittsburgh a one-dimensional offense. And I think once you're able to do that, it's going to be really, really tough for that defense to hold on for four quarters.
1: Uh, all right, the next game up here, and we've alluded to this game already a couple times.
2: Oregon at
1: UCLA, Nick. This is one that you picked. UCLA is a point-and-a-half favorite. The over-under is 60. So how do we see this uh, Pac-12 matchup playing?
0: This one is very similar to Pitt Clemson in a lot of ways, uh, especially in the way our numbers are treating it. Because, uh, you know, Xavier already alluded to it Oregon is the more talented team. Um, They have, you know, as far as recruiting class uh, rankings go, three straight you know, top 10 classes. They've been uh, sort of the the team to beat in the Pac-12 on the recruiting trail. Uh, however, you know, the way we kind of calculate things roster strength wise, because we do take uh, experience and we take uh, career production into account, we actually uh, would in that case call UCLA maybe the, the more talented team because they rank sixth in roster strength. Uh, Oregon ranks 17th. Part of that is the quarterback position, even though Dorian Thompson Robinson has been a bit shaky, especially as a passer. he's been playing hurt, I think is part of it. Uh, had a good week last week statistically in, in the win over Washington looked like a more uh, you know efficient accurate passer than he had at other points uh, earlier in the season. But, you know, he's a, a former high, high four, close to five star guy. The same could be said for Zach Charbonnet at, at running back. Um, you know, both of those guys are 97 rated players in our individual uh, player ratings. Plus, they've got some you know pretty talented guys on the defensive side of the ball as well. Oregon's relying on a quarterback, Anthony Brown, who, you know, came in as a a three-star type guy, transferred from Boston College, has done, you know, has a lot of experience, but hasn't put up a lot of really highly productive numbers. He's an 83 rated player in our individual player ratings. Travis Dye is a, a you know very very productive running back and for the most part of, in his career has been uh, a backup or kind of sharing that starting role with CJ Verdell who is really really highly rated but Verdell unfortunately suffered a, a season ending injury leg injury um and so you know 97 rated player would have been right there on par with Charbonnet at that position. Uh, for UCLA, now they're you know five points lower and the backup is a 78, not a 92. And, and so you know th- there's just a lot of those that kind of add up a little bit to where the way our numbers look at it, a little bit different maybe than some. Uh, but UCLA actually, you know, it, it can at least go toe to toe talent wise with Oregon, even though the recruiting numbers are you know fairly significantly in, in uh, Oregon's favor in recent years where UCLA has been outside of the top 25 basically every year since, since 2018. Uh, but, you know, we're not necessarily saying the, the way we calculated is, is right or, or uh, correct. Uh, but it's just a little bit, you know, maybe different way of doing it and actually kind of in some ways captures a little bit of what either the, the odds makers or the market are seeing maybe in why UCLA is actually favored in this game. But uh, a talent edge, because that does take more, it does take roster strength into account, but it takes more the recruiting uh, specific classes into account, does have Oregon favored. Um, They have a five and a half point edge in uh, talent. Uh, They also have a slight edge in the stats only model based on those previous three years. Uh, I think UCLA has been, even though Oregon is, you know, still alive in the playoff picture, still, um, you know, very much alive in, in the Pac-12 and beat uh, Ohio State might be the, the single uh, most impressive win of the season. You know, they and, and Texas a over Alabama, um, they, they haven't been a perfect team. They were sloppy against Cal that was probably to be expected cal makes a lot of teams look kind of sloppy they lost to stanford that was you know kind of a, a real iffy uh performance there even though they actually did have a post game win expectancy uh in the on the winning side 63% um but you know oregon hasn't since that ohio state win they haven't quite been themselves they've had some injuries you know the linebacker position really hit hard by injury this year in the secondary they've had a couple of guys uh in and out of the lineup they lost Bennett Williams for the season to a leg injury who uh you know was coming off I know a national uh player of the year award that week uh and then it ends up you know, suffering a season-ending injury. They've had their starting center out for a couple of games. Sounds like he's going to be back, but, you know, they just haven't quite been at full strength in a lot of spots. And so even though the record looks really good, there are kind of some underlying, uh, you know, numbers, whether it's personnel concerns or on-field performance, where they rank 38th in team performance overall, 41st on offense, 50th, on defense and and just some of the numbers that you know go into that are far from what we would expect of a top twenty five or, or you know top ten playoff contending type team. They rank thirty uh, seventh in net yards per play in non garbage time against FBS opponents, thirty eighth in net points per drive in those same situations, thirty second in uh, expected points added per play margin. Uh, they rank 49th in net yards per pass attempt against FPS bonus, and they rank 50th in net success rate. So, you know, a lot of those numbers are are fairly mediocre. UCLA is not heads and shoulders better, but they're at least on the same uh, you know, at least on the the, the same uh wavelength in a lot of them and Slightly ahead in, in some others, they're 31st in net yards per play, 23rd in net points per drive. So uh, it, it's a fairly evenly matched game. UCLA's home field advantage is not you know because of a, a a wild, raucous crowd by any stretch, but they have a fairly you know evenly matched roster. In some ways of calculating it, maybe even a slightly better uh, roster right this second. And you know, they don't have to travel to the game, they're just coming off two back to back road games. You know, it's it's it seems to me like maybe this is a, a, a toss up or a pick 'em, probably where I would have expected it to, to open and land. But you know, for whatever reason, UCLA slightly favored, and our numbers have UCLA slightly favored. So, in a lot of ways, I see it playing out like the Clemson or I have a, a, a similar feel of it to uh, the Clemson game where, yeah, Oregon, you know, it, it makes sense if they find a way to win this game close. Uh, that would not, you know, that, that would not be completely unexpected. But also I can, I can see why UCLA is favored, and I can see plenty of scenarios to where UCLA gets out of there with a, a really close win. So um, I think it, I think it will be very close. I think it, you know, should be one of the better games of the week. Officially, we have UCLA winning um, thirty-two twenty-nine. That that seems about right. 31-28 is more of a real football score. Maybe that's uh, the more likely outcome. But I think it'll be a very close game. I think it'll be a one-score. You know, maybe a, a game-winning field goal uh, at the last second, one way or the other. And at least officially, the way our numbers go, we're hoping it's UCLA. But but I certainly could see it being Oregon.
1: Now, Xavier, the question is, do you see any way that uh, UCLA pulls this game out? Because talking from before, seems like you kind of like Oregon in this one.
2: Yeah, I do. Uh, And I really think Oregon, to an extent, last week when I watched them play Cal, kind of got back to being Oregon in some ways. You know, yes, they missed Kayvon Thibodeau for the first half of that football game. And I think, you know, his presence has not been necessarily felt on that team maybe as much as it should be this year. You know, he wasn't even though he wasn't in the Ohio State game, he was, you know, uh, they, they were able to win that game. But I think Kayvon Thibodeau hasn't necessarily been able to put his stamp on a game yet that you think, God, this guy like we we understand how t- how talented he is, but maybe not to an extent just yet in a big game that you're just like, this guy can genuinely be the number one overall pick. Right. And I think this is the game in which he has to do it. Because when you look at UCLA, yes, they're a team that likes to run the football. Yes, they're a team that, you know, between Britton Brown and Zach Charbonnet, they really like to give them, you know, as many carries as they can take. This game is going to come down to whether Dorian Thompson Robin, uh, you know, can stay up right and can get the ball out of his hand and can make plays in that pocket. And the greatest equalizer to a quarterback that you know has a has an arm as talented as he does is a pass rusher that forces him to move. And a pass rusher that forces him off the spot. We watched it last week against Washington. When Washington got him off the spot, he was he was still struggling with inaccuracies, you know, and making and you know making poor throws. When they get him off the spot, now Washington didn't do an amazing job to do so. This is why only he had five incompletions. But if anybody can get him off the spot, it's going to be, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, Noah Sewell being able to get home and and making sure that they, you know, add pressure to him and force him to be, you know, to be a mobile quarterback in the pocket, not just being able to run away from pressure, but being in the pocket and having to move his feet and and adjust his throws. So if any game for Kayvon Thibodeau to have, a you know, a a two-and-a-half sack game, you know, five pressures, this is it. I mean, this is the game that's – To do it against, you know, because because UCLA is going to, you know, try to have Dorian Thompson Robinson be back there and 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 sling the ball around. You know, yes, they have a running game, but they run the football, so Dorian Rob Dorian Thompson Robinson can take those shots. That's why they do it. You know, they they're going. They want him to be able to throw it down the field. That's where he's most. That's where he's the best. Is when he's able to throw it. You know, we're talking about fifteen plus. You know, ten plus yards. Each throw, that's where he's able to make his biggest impact. He's not a guy who likes to work methodically down the field with his intermediate game. That's just not where, where he's talented at as of right now. On Oregon side, I'm needing I need Anthony Brown to, to figure it out and to get back to what he was able to do, you know, when they were stomping teams into the ground like in Arizona, three two or you know, two or three weeks ago, where he just looked more confident. You know, against Cal, he just didn't look confident in the pocket. He he's still, I don't know whether or not he's trying to figure it out. Or, you know, whether he's trying to, and we've talked about this in past pod, uh, past podcasts, whether he's in, a, in that situation where he's trying to decide whether he's going to be a pocket passer or a dual threat guy, you know, and, and I think he's still in that. In that middle, in that gray area where he's sometimes he feels capable of running a bunch like he did against uh, like he did against uh, Ohio State earlier on in the year where he was like, "Okay, cool. I got to use my legs. It's a big game. I got to move out of the pocket and and make things happen. And he ran for almost, you know, he ran for 65 yards in that game or last week against Cal, where he was like a little bit more reluctant to do so. It led to some sacks. You know, it led to some indecision on his part, and he only, even though he, you know, he ran for 44 yards, but he did on 13 attempts, which shows the lack of maybe, Yeah, I don't know if I want to run this time, maybe I will, maybe I won't, and he to just let it loose and go and play football, because if when he does that, Oregon is a team that really is hard to stop, because they run the football so well, you know, Travis Dye, at 145 yards last week. If they had him and CJ Verdell, they probably would have both ran for 100, right? So they're trying to figure out maybe the you know that running back room a little bit right now, but let's not act like Travis Dye is this huge drop off from CJ Verdell. He's not, he's you know, he, he's equally as talented and can get the job done. You know, it's just it's better to have two monsters than it is one. But I think Oregon and why I have them winning this ballgame and why I think they, they'll be able to do it on the road is because the run game always travels, I don't care where you play. Run game travels anywhere across the country. You know, if your offensive line can dominate up front, you're going to be able to run the football anywhere, sleet, snow, torrential downpour. It doesn't matter. So I like Oregon for that reason. And I genuinely think you'll see Oregon's head coaches and their coaching staff give Anthony Brown more of an earnest to run in this game. I think bigger game, you know, more on the line, they'll say, hey, You see a gap, you know, you see a lane to run in on a third and eight go. And I think that is going to be what Oregon leans on this week. Uh, I think that's what they did incorrectly in the Stanford game. I think they said to themselves, hey, Anthony, go ahead and uh, sit back there and sling it around a little bit. And I think that that, you know, led to, you know, obviously that, you know, some some pretty bad penalties down the stretch obviously led to their demise. But I think, you know, in that game in particular, they were like, we're going to have you sit in the pocket and throw the football. He went 14 of 26. He was rough. He threw an interception. And I think this week they're going to be like, you know what? You're back on the road. We're going to let you just handle, you know, another big game. We're just going to let you be the athlete in which you are. We're going to let you get out of the pocket. We're going to let you run. I think that's why Oregon wins this game um, and why I ha- and why I picked this as one of the more confusing lines earlier in the episode.
1: All right, we go over to the next game and the next game is a Xavier picked one and it is a Big 12 matchup of Oklahoma State at Iowa State. Iowa State is a 7 point favorite. The over under on this one is 47, Nick. How do you see that one going? So, I'm I'm really glad that Xavier picked this one and he brought up a
0: couple of the reasons why when when he was saying that uh, you know, this was a little bit of a Confusing line, right? Oklahoma State is an undefeated team. They've, you know, gone all the way. Are they in the top ten now in, in the polls? I don't look at the polls very much. I should have, probably should have before I started talking, uh, but you know, they're they're beating every team. They're eighth in the the AP poll right now, ninth in the coaches poll. Uh, they beat every team on their schedule and picked up a, a impressive win against. Uh, Texas last week to stay undefeated. A game that you know our projections were all over Texas, and it it did not obviously work out. I mentioned Oklahoma State very briefly when I was talking about teams like Wyoming and Northwestern. I have sort of a, a little bit of a similar feel about Oklahoma State and about Mike Gundy as a head coach, where don't love. Don't love him when, when he's favored, you know, don't, don't love Oklahoma state when they are tasked with covering a 10 or 14 and 21 point spread. Uh, but when they're an underdog, you know, they're, they're a dangerous team. And so that idea is kind of in conflict a little bit with uh, our projection here. Cause we do have Iowa state favored. They're favored by seven in uh, the market. We have them favored by you know almost double digits 9.6 is our official uh projection there it was pretty close to being um and all three agree that the talent edge isn't quite there for iowa state because of the recruiting profile uh is you know nothing nothing special one of the the lower ends in in the power five but roster strength wise you know iowa state has a experienced and and a pretty proven group of of players on both sides of the football. So, you know, statistically, they were really, really good last year. They are favored in in uh, our prism model by over seven. So Iowa State, we mentioned a lot in the preseason. I was a little bit worried in the way that we calculate things from roster strength and, and stuff like that. We had Iowa State as a playoff contender, as the clear second best team in the big 12. And as a, you know, top 10 team, they started in the top 10 polls, lost to Iowa, lost to Baylor. And have kind of been a, a little bit forgotten about uh, since then. But uh, part of the reason, and, and, you know, Xavier mentioned or asked why is, is Iowa state favorite just doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, part of it is they've played better than their record would indicate. They, uh again, those postgame win expectancy numbers, you know, very, very close to 50-50 against Iowa. And I've seen some uh, that actually have other, you know, lots of people uh, do calculations on on that sort of thing. I've seen plenty that have had Iowa State you know, in the 50s and the 60s and, and maybe as high as 70% to win that game against Iowa when you know, they ended up losing by uh, two scores and, and Brock Purdy was benched uh, against Baylor. The one that we refer to as 54%. Iowa State had a, a 54% post-game win expectancy. They've had a couple of, you know, special teams plays go the wrong way. They've had a couple of, you know, somewhat unlucky breaks, but they've come out on the wrong side in those two games, and they haven't always been super impressive uh, in their wins. You know, that that opener against Northern Iowa was much, much too close for comfort. But then they were able to turn it on and, you know, the UNLV game, Kansas, what have you. Uh, last week, thought they did a pretty good job. Seemed like they were in control of that game against Kansas State, though they didn't you know, blow them out, obviously. But um, Iowa State's back up to number six in our power ratings. They actually, as far as our team performance numbers go, they rank seventh in team performance. So they've played like a top 10 team, at least according to the numbers that, that we think are most important. They're 13th in offensive team performance, 12th in defensive team performance. So even though the defense, you know, might not look as, as dominant maybe at times as it did in, in years past, it's kind of interesting to think that last year, you know, they had one of the better defenses statistically uh, certainly in the Big 12, they ranked 22nd in defensive team performance last year. This year, they're 10 spots higher in our, our defensive numbers. So, you know, not saying that that ours are perfect by any stretch, but, you know, they rank 14th in uh, EPA per play defensively. They rank ninth in yards per play allowed. Uh, again, those are done by Brian Fremont, the, the yards per play and the points per drive, Brian Fremont. The EPA per play is uh, Parker Fleming, uh, and both of those, are, all of those, are non-garbage time against FBS opponents only. But you know, those are those are solid numbers. Top fifteen, uh, top ten. They're they're eighteenth in points per drive allowed. Uh, even some of the other lower numbers. You know, we were just talking about Oregon and and UCLA. Iowa State's been better than both in yards per pass. Uh, attempt their 33rd 28th and success rate against so um you know they've they've been a solid uh defense and and you know the offense hasn't fallen off a cliff I mean Purdy is is certainly imperfect Brees Hall started slow had you know was held to under 70 yards in, in each of the first two games but he's really come on and and played like uh you know the Heisman, leading Heisman vote getter returning in 2021, uh, or, you know, the the guy that that looked like a Heisman uh, contender coming into the season, he's he's really played like that the last few weeks. So Iowa State seems to be, you know, one, a little bit better than the numbers would indicate, the the record would indicate. Um, They seem to be kind of ramping up and, and playing better and better, which is not to be, Unexpected. They they've done the same thing in years past, and Oklahoma State has been, you know, I've seen plenty of people uh, this week kind of comparing Oklahoma State to Iowa. Right, the offense isn't isn't great. They can run the ball a little bit with Jalen Warren. Uh, Tay Martin's a good receiver. Spencer Sanders, you know, his running ability is is uh, a weapon at times, but is very inconsistent as a passer. Uh, Oklahoma State ranks 63rd in our offensive team performance. They just happen to play really solid defense. They ranked 13th in defensive team performance, uh, 24th against the pass, 26th against the run. So if they're able to, you know, limit Iowa State's possessions, limit big plays, uh, find a way to neutralize or or uh, minimize Brees Hall's impact, then this certainly is a game Oklahoma State could win. It could be one of those low-scoring. Uh, you know, ugly type games like we're kind of expecting in several this week. Um, and offensively, they do have potential, I think. Uh, but they just haven't quite been consistent, haven't quite lived up to, you know, kind of what we think or what we think of. I, you know, in, in years past, Oklahoma State has had some explosive offenses, last few years haven't quite been that. They're 86th in yards per play, 83rd points per drive, 64th in yards per pass attempt, 97th in success rate. Uh, so they they are just not a team that is built to drive down the field or really, um, you know, put a bunch of explosive plays together. And when you're going up against a defense like Iowa State, who's been pretty good at, at you know, getting off the field, It doesn't necessarily seem like a great matchup there. So Oklahoma State, you know, might have to get a pick six like they did last week against Texas um, or like Iowa State allowed Iowa to do in in the first week. Both of those are are absolutely possible. You know, they could uh, get a big turnover. They could get, um, you know, a special teams play to turn the tide, what have you. There are a lot of ways Oklahoma State can win it, but I understand why Iowa State is is expected to win it so i don't necessarily love being uh you know going up against oklahoma state when they're an underdog because they do seemingly and i don't have a lot of numbers to, to back me up it just you know it seems like they do a, a really good job of winning games they're not supposed to and this could be another one of those and iowa state is already lost at least one it wasn't supposed to and and you could argue against Iowa too, they were favored in, in that game we thought they were gonna uh, be able to win that game but um, you know there there also are reasons I think to believe that that Iowa State could get this done and it's you know two of our three models agree with it. Uh, and I I kind of see it as well our final score predictions 31 21 and I think even though, I, I, you know, I, I don't have a, a great feeling any time we're going against Oklahoma State as an underdog. As I've said before, this feels like a game Iowa State should win, and, and it feels like kind of uh, Oklahoma State an opportunity for them to have that Iowa moment that we saw last week uh,
1: against Purdue. Xavier, how do you see this one playing out? I mean, this uh, this is a good game for this weekend for sure, which makes yeah. it hard to bet, but uh, <laughs> Iowa State comes in as a pretty big favorite against an OK State team that just beat uh, Texas. Really good on defense, like Nick said. Offense is questionable, though.
2: Absolutely, and, and I'll get to the Oklahoma State first. You know, the one thing I will say about Oklahoma State, I think, where I have a little bit more confidence in than Iowa, which Nick alluded to them being kind of similar, is I think at the quarterback position, I think Spencer Sanders has kind of been there, done that, where I feel like Spencer Petrus hasn't. And I think that is where the the, the the level of confidence shifts a little bit for me when I talk about Oklahoma State. You know, Spencer Sanders has played in, this is what, his fourth or fifth year at Oklahoma State now. He's played in some pretty massive games. Yeah, he's had, you know, some time has hurt as well. But he's played in some pretty big games, you know, and he, he's been there. He's won some, he's lost some. And, and I think that when it comes to – this game in particular, that is where I'm looking for the biggest difference. Is It's what, you know, I think both of them might be super seniors, him and Purdy. What, what what super senior decides to play their best version of themselves? You know, Spencer Sanders is a guy that absolutely right, Nick. This year has decided to let the legs go. He's decided to just run. You know, he's lost Taylor Wallace. He doesn't have Chuba Hubbard anymore. And he's like, you know what, guys? If you're not open, I'm not going to wait for you to get open. I'm going to take off any chance I get, you know, anytime the defense expects me not to, to take off, I'm going to take off. You know, and, and on the other end, you've got Brock Purdy who I think, once again, has not taken that next step. And, you know, that that concerns me a little bit, you know, for this game in particular with Iowa State because Oklahoma State's defense has been that good uh, this year. And and I think that that's where I'm going to pick Oklahoma State in this game. I think Iowa State is getting there. Yeah, you know, they're absolutely, you know, they're playing well above, you know, what we saw them play a couple of weeks ago. And they're starting to creep back to the Iowa State that we maybe thought they could be at the beginning of the year. But the, the the what remains to be the same is Brock Purdy remaining to be a game manager and, and staying at that plateau where I thought maybe this year he would be a guy that you can allow him to win you a ball game. I still don't see that from his game, even in the game that they've won over the last two weeks. <clears throat> Excuse me, even in the Kansas State game, you know, didn't have the greatest in numbers, 22 or 25, 208, and a touchdown. That is what Brock Purdy is going to give you every game, week in and week out. And, and that showed that that concerns me because I don't feel like you can win a game when you're playing a defense as good as Oklahoma state has been this year with the quarterback play like that. You know, they're going to put seven in the box. They're going to say breeze hall. You may get a 30 yard run. That's fine, but you're not going to run for 200 plus, right? They're going to say, all right, Brock Purdy, you beat us. I mean, they're going to essentially play Iowa state. Like they played Texas last week. They're going to say, you know what? They've got a great running back in the backfield that we probably can't stop for four quarters, but if we can slow him down, then that's what we're going to do. Right. They couldn't they couldn't, you know, stop B. John Robinson from being B. John Robinson. But what, they, what did they do? They made Casey Thompson beat them. And he couldn't, you know, 15 to 20. They, they may, you know, they forced him into two errant throws, forced him into two picks, excuse me. You know, and that's what they're going to try to do to Brock Purdy. They're going to force Brock Purdy to, you know, put together these long drives where he's going to have to convert a couple of third and sevens third and nines and if he can do that then yeah iowa state absolutely will win this ball game but i don't trust him to do that in a game against oklahoma state who's rolling right now you know this team i think it is a confidence team you know i think once oklahoma state maybe has their first loss we might see them lose two or you know one or two or maybe even three games in a row i wouldn't be surprised you know per- to be perfectly honest with you for everything that nick has been saying about you know how pedestrian the offense has been this year but i think oklahoma state if they prove anything to me this year they roll off of the confidence week in and week out. You know, our first game talking about them this year was them against Kansas state and a ranked And uh in a, in Kansas state was coming in that game ranked. Excuse me. And Oklahoma state wasn't And Oklahoma state. I said, well, they won every game by the skin of their teeth. So how, you know, how are they going to see when they finally uh, play a team? You know, that I think is, is better than what they've played so far this year. Beat them pretty handedly uh, <laughs> at home. You know, then they played Baylor who we saw last week. I mean, destroy BYU beat them pretty handedly at home. And so, Yes. You know, and, and even last week against Texas, they were able to beat the challenge that was in front of them. And that was really their first real road test outside of probably Boise State, you know, a whole month ago. So I think this Oklahoma State team is going to continue to roll off of the confidence that they have coming into this week. You know, I, I think we would be singing a whole other tune if they had lost to Texas last week, especially if they didn't fight down the stretch in which they did. And, and I think that ultimately Iowa State. Maybe, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just hurt because I had Iowa State possibly winning the Big Twelve, and so I'm scoring a little bit. So I'm not going to put any confidence or any faith in the team that I was rooting for at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, and, and now for the most, for all intents and purposes, doesn't control their own destiny. Excuse me, destiny in that conference, even though they only have one loss at this point, they would take a lot of things for them to go right. Uh, a lot of things, excuse me, for to go right for them to be in the conference championship game. Uh, but I'm going to go with Oklahoma State here. I, I think I trust Spencer Sanders more than I do Brock Purdy at this point in the year because Spencer Sanders does have the ability to run, which gives them more dynamic offense on that side of the ball, as opposed to really Brock Purdy. If you can keep him from throwing, you know, th- on third and threes and third and fives, you pretty much got him figured out. You know, and I think Louisiana put that, you know, blueprint out last season. And that blueprint really hasn't changed much. And he hasn't forced anybody to change their scheme in, in, in that regard. And that's why I think I have – and that's why I'm going to pick Oklahoma State to win this ballgame because Brock Purdy has not taken that next step this year. And if anything, he's just he's, – uh, he's plateaued uh, on what I thought was a, a pretty good season last year. He's completely plateaued this year. And he hasn't shown me that ability to beat a defense and beat a secondary that essentially every week is coming out and saying, we're going to stop the run. And that's what we're going to sell out in doing and beat us with your arm. And he hasn't been able to do it consistently enough for me to go. All right, I'm going to pick him for this game.
1: All right, let's uh, go to your second game here, Xavier. And it is Wisconsin at Purdue. And I love this game as far as uh, getting someone to pick it because I don't want to mess with it at all. Uh, the, The line is Wisconsin by three. The over under is only 40, which is an NFL line. And look, Wisconsin is... The Wisconsin is the better team on paper for sure, right? Specifically on defense. But we just saw Purdue win a big game with their offense. And and, uh, Wisconsin has a hard time scoring. So my gut tells me to go with the home team in Purdue, but I don't like this game. So, Nick, tell me, uh, how how am I supposed to feel about this one?
0: Uh, I think it'll be... A defensive slugfest, and then who's going to make uh, a big play to win it? it it's it, you know there aren't a whole lot of really exciting games. It seems you know not not a rank versus rank matchup, not uh, just sort of the the you know, big rivalry or, or what have you. Um, it's just a game of a lot of or a week, I should say, of a lot of really evenly matched. Teams And this is one of those, uh, you know, Purdue, you said they won with offense and and there's certainly some of that. I mean, David Bell absolutely went off uh, as he is, you know, as he's done plenty of times before is is a an incredible receiver to watch and, and really excited uh, to be able to see him go up against a, a defense that is maybe just as good as Iowa's this week. Uh, but Purdue had to get really creative on the offensive side of the ball. Aiden O'Connell put up good passing numbers, uh, but they played two other quarterbacks as well. Purdue has been a terrible rushing team for a couple of years now, and they rank you know 117th in rushing team performance this year. Their top uh, running back has been out since you know mid September, Zander Hovarth, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon. So they've had to. Find ways to create uh, something on the ground to keep teams, you know, at least a little bit honest defensively. And they found some success with Jack Plummer and Austin Burton uh, as running options as, as quarterbacks. And uh, so, you know, rolling in uh, three different quarterbacks is not always sustainable, but it, it definitely gave them a boost in the game against Iowa. And, and who knows, it could against. Wisconsin, as well. Wisconsin being a pretty disappointing team uh, so far this year. They were in a lot of people's preseason top tens. Uh, You know, we were pretty high on them as well, thought that they were kind of co uh, favorites with Iowa most of the preseason in the Big Ten West. And then I think, you know, kind of in the last weeks of, the preseason, uh, Wisconsin kind of slid a little bit ahead of of Iowa, created some room there, and and they were our uh, favorite uh, based on our projections in the Big Ten West. But Graham Mertz hasn't you know taken uh, any step forward at the quarterback position. The running uh, back room is different than we thought it would be. Uh, Ches Malusi getting kind of that you know number one running back. Uh, workload over Jalen Berger, who a lot of people expected big things from who has since entered the transfer portal. But in recent weeks, you know, one of the kind of exciting players uh, one of the players I'm really looking forward to to watching in this game is Braylon Allen, true freshman, former uh, linebacker. You know, I think even when uh, we added him to the FBS team profiles after the, you know, whenever the, the uh, recruiting classes, are finalized in February. That's when we uh, add him in, and, and he was listed as a linebacker uh, by two four seven Sports, I believe. So I had to, to move him in late, but he's stepped into, if not the the you know backup role, maybe kind of a co number one with Malusi. The last few weeks, back to back hundred yard performances has uh, given them a little bit of a. Boost. Wisconsin has had some success running the football. They rank 25th in uh, rushing team performance, but the passing game has really, really struggled to the point they rank 110th in passing team performance and 80th overall as a result. But, you know, they have, you know, both sides of the football combined played like a top 25 team despite three losses. They rank 22nd in overall team performance. And a big part of that is their defense, which ranks fourth. Overall, number one against the run. So Purdue might have negative rushing yards this week. Uh, and then they've been pretty good against the pass, 13th in passing team performance. So, um, you know, they they are a solid defense. They uh, really limit your number of possessions. They do a pretty good job of getting off the field. Um, but, you know, David Bell is... Maybe the best receiver in college football, and and so he's somebody that you absolutely are going to have to figure out a way to stop. They've gotten good uh, work from Payne Durham, the tight end, and then is Wisconsin going to be able to get anything going itself on offense? Purdue is has been solid, 17th in defensive team performance, though they're not spectacular. They're not inside the top 25 in either. Uh, passing defense or rushing defense team performance. They're 26th and 43rd respectively, but George Karloftis is maybe, you know, he's playing like an all-American pass rusher, even though the stats might not always back it up. He was incredibly disruptive. Um, You know, he impacted the game last week against Iowa, the way Kayvon Thibodeau did in the second half against Cal, just, you know, in the backfield constantly. And Wisconsin, you know, will their running game be able to neutralize that a little bit because they're, you know, if, if they're uh, in third and long situations, is Karloftis and DeMarcus Mitchell and, and other guys on the defense, are they going to be able to you know, pin their ears back and, and rush the quarterback uh, in obvious passing situations, or is Wisconsin going to be able to get something going, create third and short or move the sticks on second down, uh, maybe even a big play on first down and kind of take that uh, away from Purdue a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to watch. There are individual players that I'm really excited to watch, but I think the game itself, again, another close game, another close scoring, low scoring game. Our uh, totals model, we've mentioned before, the tails on it aren't very good, so we were never going to get under 40, even though we're getting closer. We're getting closer and closer every week uh, but you know, this one we have projected at 24, 23. We do have Wisconsin coming out as uh the winner. and Wisconsin still has a lot to play for in the West still could end up uh representing that division in the Big Ten championship game, but Purdue also has a path and and they would have to win this uh game at home. It's it's very, very possible. We see it as a one point game, uh, but similar to, You know, some of the others we were talking about earlier, a game winning field goal one way or the other uh, is is absolutely possible. And and so Purdue could certainly win this game, though we do give Wisconsin a, a, you know, the slightest of of edges.
1: Xavier, how do you see it going? Uh, This is like like Nick said, uh, the the model had a 24, 23. So uh, it's going to be a close one, it looks like. Do you see it playing as close? And
0: and, and 2017 is probably more. 17-14 is
2: probably. Right. probably <laughs> I mean, it, be it 10, could be a 10-7 for the win. It could be that. Ugly. I was playing in Georgia. Can't...
1: Week week one was 10-7. <sighs> so, yeah, but we're uh, talking about two
2: different talent levels. It could be, uh, okay. Anyways, no, uh, but they're close. They're, uh, they're, oh, like, absolutely.
1: They're close, Uh, which m- makes it, yeah. I mean, different talent levels for sure. But uh, I think them being so close. is what makes this one of the more interesting ones of the week here.
2: Yeah, you know, I I watched, you know, I went ahead and did my my film session with Wisconsin over versus Army this week, and I'll be honest with you, Wisconsin had to do some pretty crazy things to keep that ball moving. You know, they had to go for a fake punt on fourth and one. Matter of fact, their first two scoring drives involved a fourth and one having to be converted on both of them. So, you know, that just to you know, to Nick, you know, to what Nick alluded to, this offense still isn't necessarily moving the football at a good rate. You know, yes, they were able to beat Army last week and get back to five hundred, but the but but. You know, they're still struggling to move the football. Graham Mertz is still wildly inaccurate, you know, and, and, you know, even though he had a rushing touchdown last week, you're really like, yo, when are you going to figure it out at some point? You know, like he, he, in my opinion, feels like Chase Bryce when we were talking about, you know, it's, he's all this talent that he had coming out of high school and he just has not been able to put it together for any stretch since his freshman year. And, and it's really a, a, a mind boggling situation because some of the passes in which he's throwing are just so all over the place. I mean, just high and outside. And I mean, we're talking about pretty clean pockets as well. And what he's throwing in that just aren't happening for him. Uh, and so for me, I, I, I'm going to go with Purdue here, you know, they, they they're coming off of a pretty massive win. Uh, I think you know we would all say I think they're gonna continue and keep that ball rolling. Um, I don't see anybody on on Wisconsin that can cover David Bell for four quarters. You know maybe they double team him. Maybe they give him the Julio treatment and they triple team him. You know they put a linebacker underneath, a corner over uh, in front of him, and a safety over the top. Maybe that's what you have to do to to, to possibly hold him from going for at least hundred yards bare minimum. Uh, but when you talk about this Wisconsin defense, it's still it, as good as this Wisconsin defense has been all year. It has not mattered. Why? Because no defense is good enough to play that great for four quarters. Unless your, off- your offense has to move the football. They've got to move the pendulum one way or another. They've got to put points on the board. You know, they've got to put three, four five minute drives together. Even if they punt, you know, a six minute drive in which you punt, that's six minutes of football time and probably, you know, 15 minutes to 20 minutes of real time that your defense got to sit there, get their Gatorade, their fluids back together, and get back out there. This defense has had to play, you know, ridiculous amounts of important, you know, football for them all year long and have had to keep teams to, you know, under two touchdowns for their offense, for their team just to win, you know, or just to compete. And, and I think Purdue has enough offensive talent and enough in the tank to be able to win this ball game. Nick, you're, I, I, we were joking about the whole, like, you know, 10-3, but I genuinely wouldn't su- be surprised if this final score was 10-7, you know, or, or, you know, finished around that margin, you know, it was 13-7 against Army last week for, for, for Wisconsin before they were able to put some distance in that game, but I, I wouldn't be shocked, I just wouldn't be shocked if we saw an ugly performance like that, with both teams still having everything to play for in the West, so, I want to say, like, And I've been very big on picking Wisconsin this year. I think I've picked Wisconsin, I think, twice on this podcast this year. Uh, I think I picked them to beat Iowa early on in the year. And I think I even picked them to, to cover against Penn State both of which did not go my, my, my way, and I'm not going to pitch with Wisconsin this time. Three times is not the charm. I can't do it. I just can't bring myself to picking Wisconsin in a game in which, I, you know, I saw a Purdue team pretty much, you know, and Nick said they won it with offense, but Purdue kind of, in, in some ways, manhandled Iowa up front. They struggled. Iowa did to run the football. Oh, Scott said that. Excuse me. Uh, you know, that Iowa struggled to run the football up front, and that's not a team that – that's a team that – Relies on their run game very heavily, which Wisconsin does as well. And I think Purdue is going to have to do that again this week if they're going to have any chance of winning this football game. I think George Carlough is slowly but surely making himself into a top twelve pick. I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the year if he was, because uh, he has been—he is becoming week in week out that more dominant. And if Purdue continues to win, obviously they're ranked. That means bigger games, so on, so on, and so forth. Uh, but I'm going to pick Purdue in this game. I think they have enough in the tank offensively, and I think they—and even not even just that—I think they saw exactly what they're going to be playing this week last week so i wouldn't be surprised if they came into this week and they were like guys defensively same scheme like we're literally going to play the exact same scheme because wisconsin and iowa are almost mirror images of each other you know so we're going to play the exact same way up front we're going to pack in the box we're going to make a an inaccurate quarterback beat us down the field not you know keep it from being third and three third and four and make him you know play on third and sevens and third and eights and that's what we're gonna try to accomplish again. And this time they're gonna have it with a raucous home crowd who now is cheering for a ranked team. I don't know if either one of you guys can tell me last time Purdue was ranked, but I'll win. So, you know, I, I think this would be a, a really good atmosphere for Purdue as well. So I'm gonna go ahead and, and Purdue's gonna win this game.
1: All right. Interesting one there. Yeah. I mean, uh and, and I I like the um
2: I like the they
1: just have to practice the same thing two straight weeks in a row because these teams are very similar. Yeah, because it's true. You know, they're both a run first. Don't put your quarterback in a position where he has to win the game for you uh, type of teams. So uh, let's go to the games I picked. And the first one I picked here is USC and Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a seven point favorite. Fifty seven and a half is the over. And I just want to hear you guys talk about this before I have to talk about this on betting pros, because I hate this game and I cannot figure out Notre Dame to save my life. Xavier, you want to jump in there? Go ahead.
2: Yes. The last time Purdue was ranked was two thousand and seven. 2007.
1: Okay. I mean, it's been, been a little bit for sure, but what do we think about USC at Notre Dame here, Nick? Because I hate it. (laughs) I get where you're coming from. Uh, Notre Dame we've, we've
0: been fortunate at times uh, with Notre Dame predictions and and projections this year. Um, But I've always felt or, or often felt, when the projection comes out that we're just a little too high on Notre Dame and they haven't, you know, really budged much as far as their uh, power ranking goes. They're 14th in our power rankings, which still feels a little high, but they're a five and one team and their only loss is to a Cincinnati team that has been a you know playoff caliber team uh, so far. So in some ways I still feel like we're a little you know, too high on uh, Notre Dame or projection. Which, by the way, I mean this, the spread on this one is seven, right? We have Notre Dame winning by two touchdowns. So that that uh, spoiler alert, I guess, to to where I usually wrap it up at the end there. But Notre Dame, we we think should be uh, you know double digit, two touchdown favorite in this game. But it feels like too much. Um, you know, seven, sure, I I, I totally get that. Fourteen. Man, I don't know, because quarterback position hasn't been great. They've rotated two and three guys in. They've had some injuries at that position. Different guys in different weeks, you know, something new pops up. They haven't been able to run the football. They rank 110th in offensive team performance. Uh, they have one of the best, if not the best, tight end in the country in Michael Mayer, uh, but he's really been hurt to the point where he didn't play last week. Um you know, so, or or excuse me, in their in their last game against Virginia Tech, or at least he was severely limited. So you know, there are concerns. They've had starters out with injury on defense as well, and and other guys it seems like go down each week. Uh, the offensive line has you know had to play several different starting lineups because of injuries. Uh, the linebacker core got a significant hit to its depth due to injuries in fall camp and and early. This season. So, Notre Dame, there are a lot of reasons why I, I understand why people think, you know, at the end of the year, it might not be a great win on Cincinnati's resume because there are plenty of losable games uh, in the second half of the schedule for Notre Dame, including the game against USC. I mean, I, I, I would not be shocked if USC finds a way to win. The problem is USC has been wildly inconsistent this year, and part of that is, you know, changeover at head coach. Part of it is injuries uh, of their own. You know, they've had a lot of guys go down in the receiving core. They've had guys on the offensive line, defensive line, secondary. Uh, you know, both teams are, are not playing at the full strength of what we expected, uh, you know, Coming into the year, and and coming into the year, both teams still had plenty of weaknesses or at least questions. Uh, defense has been a major major issue for USC. They rank 103rd in defensive team performance, 103rd in passing team performance. The offense has shown flashes. Keaton Slovis, some weeks looks great, some weeks you know looks like he uh, probably should lose his job. And and if. Um, you know, Jackson Dart didn't go down with a knee injury, in his, uh, or you know, suffer a knee injury that that has limited him since after the win over Washington State, USC's best win of the year. Um, you know, then he might have lost his job. So uh, it sounds like Dart is practicing again, doing a little bit more uh, each day, each week since. But based on what I saw. Tuesday, kind of the reports coming out uh, from a lot of the USC beat writers and, and team sites and stuff seems like he's probably not ready to get back in there. So, you know, which Keaton Slovis will we see this week? We know Drake London kind of similar to, to what we were just saying about Bell, uh, David Bell at, at Purdue, you know, he's going to, he's going to produce, he's going to get targets. He's going to uh, go up and make a ridiculous catch and, uh, is an absolute weapon that that the opposing team uh, is probably just going to have to deal with. And so far, nobody really is, has uh, been able to, to, you know, shut him down. Figure out a way to, to shut him down. But the running game, even though it's a bit improved over last year, uh, still isn't great outside of the top fifty in team performance. The passing offense is 16th overall, 32nd on offense. Uh, overall, both sides of the ball, 70th. USC was a team that looked like, you know, I know, I know they coming into the year, our projections had them favored in every regular season game. They were a top 15 team. They were the number one team in the Pac 12. And that was one we sorely got wrong. Uh, they've fallen down to 56th in our power ranking, sixth in the Pac 12. But as is always the case, you know the talent is there. They rank 11th in roster strength, 17th on offense, ninth on defense. So to be the ninth most talented defensive roster in the country and to play at a level to where you're ranking 103rd statistically is uh, there, there's a disconnect there somewhere. And part of it's coaching, part of it is you know probably some stuff that we just can't uh, quantify. But it's very very difficult to to know which USC we are going to see and could they keep this game close at Notre Dame? Absolutely. They have the talent to do it. These, these two teams are again, fairly evenly matched. Notre Dame has been much more consistent. Uh, I would not, you know, I would not be surprised if uh, Notre Dame wins this by three, I would not be surprised if they win this by 24. It could be anywhere in between, but I do think Notre Dame will win the game. Uh, We think they'll win it, like I said, by two touchdowns, the final score uh, predictions, 36-21. You know, 31-21 might might maybe be a little more close to correct, Uh, but this is a game I think Notre Dame should win, in part because it's at home, in part because uh, they've just been uh, more consistent overall, and, and we can trust, I think, Notre Dame, uh, to find a way to win, even though USC has the talent to compete and, and you know the
1: talent to win, certainly, uh, just don't really trust them to get it done. Xavier, what do you think
2: about this game, uh, USC and Notre Dame? I'm going to go USC here. Uh, I think this is I think this is the game that they're playing for pride. This is a pride win if they if they're able to to get it. And I think Notre Dame has been hanging on for the least the last two weeks. You know, they were able to just barely make it past Virginia Tech, you know, and after losing to Cincinnati, you know, in the weeks prior, both teams have had a bye week for this game. So I think both teams should be, you know, very well prepared coming into this matchup. Uh, But this for USC, this is pretty much your season, right? Like this is the last ranked team that they'll play. Probably, you know, you look at the rest of the schedule, Arizona State just lost their ranked their rankings last week. Maybe they've been able to get back in. If UCLA is able to win this week, maybe they're ranked again and BYU same kind of situation. But at the same time, this this is probably the, this is easily the biggest game on their schedule left. And for a lot of these guys, you know, you, you, as you said, Nick, the talent has got to shine through. And this is an opportunity with this probably being one of the top three, maybe the top four biggest games of the week. You know, it's a night game. It's going to have all of the pageantry and all that good stuff. For you to show on national television that you guys are have not gone, you know, completely, you know, south, right? This is an opportunity for for USC. If you're gonna put it, put it all together for a game, you need to do it against a top 15 team in Notre Dame, who I think every week up until they prove me wrong it is upset prone. I just, I just Notre Dame for me in the style of football in which they want to play is upset prone. You're gonna sit there and, and hope that Jack Cohn is able to, you know, put together a masterful performance while you run the ball with Kyron Williams 24 times a game. That, that's an upset prone team when, when you're relying on Jack Cohn. I'm sorry. It just is. You know, he, he's not somebody who is is known for winning you ball games. He's not a guy who's going to go in, in there and throw for 300 plus yards, three touchdowns. You know, he's, he, you know, and I've said this about a lot of quarterbacks this year, but he's got a turnover in him. You know, he, he's going to give the ball away at least once in the game. Uh, I believe against Virginia Tech, he did it twice, uh, really putting them behind the eight ball in that matchup. Uh, they were able to, to to squeak away with a win, though but that's my biggest thing with them. You know, I I'm really concerned about Notre Dame's ability in this matchup, you know, with the, with the USC team that's hungry. You know, I, I think that USC, you know, with the changing of coaches and this is something, you know, they haven't been able to hit on since really the, the coaching staff is completely, uh, or the head coach change has been completely made, but these guys are all playing for a roster spot at this point. Like nobody's safe. Like maybe, maybe a couple of guys, maybe Drake London, like your name, maybe Drake Jackson on the defensive side are safe because, you know, these guys are just as uber talented as they are. And they showed it before the head coach change. But for a lot of these guys, what is, what is the new coaching? What does the new head coach have any, you know, you know, any familiarity as far as, like, these guys are concerned when it comes to I'm going to play you every week because I like you. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have that kind of, you know, rapport with all of them. It's Now you're playing for your job week in and week out. And typically when when a head coach change happens like that, you're looking for an uptick in in certain players' play. Maybe the offensive line finally puts it together for a game. Maybe the run game is we're finally able to see the run game, you know, work for four quarters and not just have flashes here and there. And, And to your point, Nick, maybe Keaton Slovis finally decides I can play quarterback at USC and be the guy, you know. And ever since he's gotten the job, it's kind of been this roller coaster of like, hmm, maybe he's good enough to do it, maybe he's not, you know. And, and so I, I think, you know, USC wins this matchup. I think USC is able to 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 do it on the road as well. I think it's going to be would be huge for them to do so. But like I said, I think USC wins it because this is a pride game for them. I think they put it all together. That all that talent comes to the surface for one game. They may absolutely get the doors be off of them later this season but that doesn't matter it all matters what happens this day uh and what happens this week And, and for me like i said notre dame even though they've been able to pretty much you know the damage control has been done pretty well by them this year their only loss has been the cincinnati who's currently the number two team in the country doesn't look too bad right however in a lot of their games this year outside of wisconsin they've beaten teams that are far less talented than them by you know, margins that are, are unacceptable of a team ranked that high. And so for me, that just, that just seems like, and that just smells like an upset is coming. And I think that people are really not looking at this USC Notre Dame game as the one that is going to happen, but that's the one, this is it. This is the game. I think Notre Dame gets upset. I think USC goes in there and and walks away with the win. And I think Keaton Slovis and the rest of that team show, we're not completely dead in, in, you know, and show that, you know, the talent that Nick talked about actually comes to the surface and plays like the talent that they have. So, Give me USC in an upset win. I may be, you know, regretting this on Saturday night.
1: <laughs> we'll see. I mean, that's why I didn't want to mess with it. Uh, the next one, uh, look, I think Ohio State wins this one going away, but big lines are tough to play, and they're favored by three touchdowns on the road against Indiana. Uh, and ever since their hiccup against Oregon, they've looked real strong, Nick. So uh, 21 is the spread for Ohio State at Indiana. 60 and a half is the over. How do you see that one going?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting game. Uh, Ohio State, you know, we we mentioned it briefly when talking about Oregon and UCLA. Oregon uh, was able to uh, capitalize on some Ohio State, you know, mistakes and things not getting lined up correctly on defense. And uh, to be honest, since that game, I haven't I haven't seen a whole lot of Ohio State or, or you know, concentrated on watching their games. Like I've, I've had uh, like the game against Maryland kind of on in the background, kind of a, a replay, but haven't really focused in on it yet. And so I know Ohio state has improved a lot and the numbers. Uh, certainly back that up. I mean, they're up to number three in our power rankings and I, I kind of, I'm not invested at all in Ohio state and national championship uh, futures. And, and it, it doesn't make sense, I guess, to load up on uh much more when I've got uh, Georgia and Oklahoma at, at the moment, but I kind of, I kind of think that's a smart bet if if you know somebody out there is is interested. I feel like Ohio State is rounding itself into statistically speaking being one of the the best teams in college football again, as we expected in the preseason. I mean, they're number one in offensive team performance, number two passing offensive team performance, number two rushing offensive team performance. CJ Stroud. Looks great, you know, sat out a week and and still is, I think, third in Heisman odds. And it's in part just because, you know, he showed some weaknesses early on, some inconsistencies early on, and has kind of ironed a lot of those out. Hasn't necessarily faced tough defenses since. Uh, So it will be interesting because I do, even though Indiana has not been good defensively. Uh, they rank 31st in defensive team performance. So, you know, not terrible, but but not maybe the level that we expected. But they have some really, really good defensive players. Michael McFadden, the linebacker, is on basically everybody's uh, midseason All-American list. He's a 100-rated player in our individual player ratings. They've got a lot of talent in the secondary, though a couple of guys have been really significant guys. Tywan Mullen and Reese Taylor have been limited by injury mullen uh has a foot injury and and has been out since october 2nd uh taylor played last week but had to take himself out of the game after the first series if i uh read that correctly but if both of those guys are able to come back and play you know ohio state will will face probably the toughest secondary they've had uh to face since oregon uh for sure and and you know the only probably easily the second best uh, secondary that that they will have faced already this season. But even if that, you know, is that going to be enough to slow down guys like Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Travion Henderson has been everything. Everybody hoped he would be as a true freshman running back has has been, uh, you know, just an excellent player. The offensive line is number one and O-line performance rating in our numbers. Uh, even with, you know, they've had a couple of injuries. They've had guys in and out, of the lineup and and important guys like Thayer Munford was banged up a little bit, but you know, hopefully the week off that group is, is a little healthier, but they're playing like the number one uh, offensive line in the country. And you know, they're number one in our O-line talent rating. So they are obviously number one in our O-line strength rating, you know, the defensive line, they've had some injuries, uh, Haskell Garrett, their All-American, went down a couple of weeks ago. we will be interesting to see if he's able to uh, come back and, and be fully uh, available for this game. I know they're they're getting a little healthier at some other spots on the defensive line, but the secondary has, has been hit hard by injury, uh, has also been a bit of a disappointment at times this year. I think they figured a couple of things out after they – made some changes, you know, switched around some responsibilities on the defensive uh, coaching staff after that Oregon game. But, you know, that's, that's really the only weakness and I'm not sure that I trust Indiana to be able to exploit that weakness because Michael Penix uh, missed last game. Sounds like he's probably uh, going to miss this next one with, with that shoulder injury. Um The reporting around it has been, you know, leading up to last week, it sounded like, oh, maybe he'll play. He ends up not playing. Jack Tuttle starts. And then uh, after the game, it kind of turned to, well, maybe now Penix is going to be out uh, longer than expected. But, um, you know, Tuttle has shown some flashes, was a, a highly rated guy coming out of high school, but just, you know, hasn't quite proven to be able to attack uh, opposing defenses quite yet. Maybe we'll see it this week. Maybe they will be able to uh, take advantage of that Ohio State secondary that at least, you know, has been the weakness on, on that roster so far. Uh, with guys like Ty Freifogel, uh, Peyton Hendershot at tight end, you know, he's, he's got some weapons. Um, but that offense really just hasn't gotten going all year. They rank 106th in offensive team performance, 103rd in passing. Uh, offensive team performance—they rank 120th in points per drive and 125th in yards per pass attempt against FBS opponents. 124th in EPA per play offensively. So the the advanced numbers are even worse than the uh, you know just just baseline numbers. Indiana—I th- I think you know—they figured some things out in that second half against Ohio State last year and really gave them a run. Uh, but some of the guys that played a big role in that aren't there. Um, will they, you know, be able to rely on Stephen Carr and, and run the football? They rank 91st, 91st in uh, rushing team performance. Uh, and they've lost a lot of depth at that position with guys, you know, injuries and guys entering the transfer portal. Carr is a talented guy has shown, uh, you know, seemed like he has taken a step forward after transferring in from USC. But, you know, is he going to be able to, uh, put the offense on his back and carry them. the offensive line hasn't been super helpful. They ranked 99th in O line performance so far this year. so there are a lot of reasons I think to expect a blowout. Uh, our talent edge numbers even give Ohio State it would cover uh, just in in the talent edge projections alone that's at 21.3 um and the projected scoring margin you know the stats only model which takes into account indiana's really solid last couple of years uh narrows the gap a bit but that's still approaching two touchdowns so we have ohio state as a, a pretty big favorite uh 24 and a half an easy cover in this I, I could see indiana kind of rising up maybe uh this is their super bowl kind of uh performance but I think Ohio State is just, you know, they're, they're too talented. They're starting to get too good. I mean, they're, they're starting to look like the Ohio State team that we expected. Oregon, I think, in a lot of ways was fortunate uh, to be able to kind of trip them up early in the season when they did. Because that offense is, uh, it's been absolutely incredible the last few weeks. Indiana is a step up in, uh, you know, opponent strength. But Indiana itself is not near full strength, so I, I think Indiana, uh, I think Ohio State wins this one fairly easily. Uh, could certainly, you know, see a scenario where Indiana kind of keeps it close early on, but I think Ohio State's just going to pull away. Our our final score predictions: forty two seventeen. That you know that that seems about right, especially if Indiana is going to be as shorthanded in the secondary as they've been the last couple of weeks. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. I don't have. A, a huge amount of confidence because Scott, like you said, I mean, three touchdowns is, is difficult on the road in a conference game against a team like Indiana that, you know, played them so well last year and had pretty high expectations coming into the season. But the way things look right now, these are teams moving in two different directions and, and Ohio state is, I think good enough uh, to put up, you know, 40, 45, maybe even 50 in this game. If, if they're able to continue at their high level play on
1: offense. Xavier, how do you see this one playing out? Can uh, the Buckeyes (laughs) cover? Do you think they're going to cover, or are you on Indiana in this one?
2: I think the Buckeyes cover. I I think this is one of those games, and Nick alluded to it a little bit. Indiana does this thing with Ohio State, and typically it's the first game of the season, so there's a little bit more excitement around it. But Indiana plays like a half against Ohio State really tough. They've done this, I think, literally like, every year that over like the last three seasons, they play them tough for like the first half. They go into halftime. It's like Ohio state 24, Indiana 14. Everybody's like, Ooh, okay. This is a good game. And then Ohio state wins like 42 to 14. You're like, Oh, what happened so like this that is typically what indiana has done against ohio state in the history and i don't think it changes this week i think if they go into that game indiana is really psyched up like nick said it's their super bowl it's their you know i think indiana doesn't have a they may have one more ranked team on their schedule yes michigan and maybe purdue if they're able to hold on to it uh so you know but this is you know at home unlike the other two games so you know this really is an opportunity for them to you know make amends for maybe losing to Cincinnati in front of their home fans, losing to Michigan State in a nail last week um, in, in front of their home fan base again, uh, and and really put forth, you know, the best effort and the best possible Indiana that we thought maybe could happen after what we saw last season. uh, But I think Ohio State's just too talented, and Ohio State's got the train rolling. You know, Nick absolutely hit it right on the head. Oregon caught them at a perfect time. They caught C.J. Stroud when he was, you know, you know, a little bit, you know, wet behind the ears, you know, a little bit too young for the moment, and and they caught him slipping. That's not going to happen with Indiana this week, you know. Uh, Ohio State has started to get that train rolling slowly, but surely they're starting to get back to Ohio State. That's just, like, not just beating teams, but just, like, Blowing them out of the water, you know, we're talking about 59-7, 52-13, 66-17, you know, and they've had a bye week to also prepare for this Indiana team. That just doesn't bode well at all for the Indiana team that has struggled mightily on offense to make anything happen, um, you know, since pretty much week three after Western Kentucky. So, you know, I, I, I'm, or excuse me, week four after Western Kentucky, so. This game isn't going to be close. I think Ohio State covers well over the 21 point margin or the 21 points that they have right now. Um, I think the final score is, like I said, it might be somewhere in the range of 42 17, perfectly honest with you. It might be 24 17 at halftime. You know, it, it could be one of those situations. I think Indiana is one of those teams that for like a half just gives it their all against Ohio State. And then Ohio State's like, all right, little brother, that was fun. Let me, let me play, let, you know, let, let, me, let me fight you for real. And then it's over with. And then Ohio State kind of just allow, and then Indiana kind of just rolls over in that third, fourth quarter as you just watch Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave running down the sidelines, and it looks like the same play over and over again. So I think Ohio State covers. I think this is an opportunity for them with this being, you know, ESPN's primetime game to remind everybody in the country that, you know, they they didn't die after the Oregon matchup. This is a number five ranked team in the country. They still have everything to play for. Everything's right in front of them because of the chaotic nature that, uh, that uh, college football has been this, week, this year. I think this is a message, you know. They've got Penn state next week, you know, that, that's seven versus five, possibly even higher depends on if anybody loses in front of Ohio state this week, you know, and, and they've got on paper right now, they've got four ranked games left. They would have Penn state next week, Purdue, November 13th, Michigan state, November 20th and finish the year out Michigan uh, against Michigan, which could be, you know, a, a four versus six or a four versus five matchup if Michigan is able to run the table in their own right. So I think this is a, a message for the rest of the big 10 and like, Hey, we, we you know, we, we got we got shot. We went to the hospital. We're good again. Everything's good. We're fine. <laughs> we're, we're, and we're back in Ohio. We're You know, uh, to the Big Ten, we're still all of you big brothers. Don't, don't get it twisted. Oregon beat us. None of y'all have. So I, I think that that's what Ohio State sends the message this week to the rest of the conference that hey, we may have taken a loss, but we're fine.
1: All right. Now uh, we go to the all three agrees for the week and the wrong team favorites here and... Uh, there's a decent amount of all three agrees, Nick, but only a couple wrong team favorites. So, what do we have for those? Yeah,
0: so uh, the wrong team favorite, a couple of AAC uh games, which uh, we haven't had time to really discuss it in season, but the AAC looks quite a bit different uh, looking ahead now. But uh, we have Memphis, they're a one point underdog against UCF, we have Memphis favored in that game. Uh, we're also, I've mentioned several times, on Memphis uh, under seven wins this season, so I would not be upset if they lose this game. Perfect scenario. They lose it by one, and, and we cover this, but uh, uh, UCF, uh, you know, injuries like we talked with some other teams this week have, have just been uh, incredible. They've had terrible injury luck there, and, and I think that's maybe not fully uh, Taken into account as as much as in the the uh, you know, current line as as we're, the way we project things. Uh, Temple, we're also on Temple over three wins. Would love to get that fourth win uh, this week, and instead of having to to uh, you know sweat it until maybe that Navy game, but we have Temple as a, a two and a half point favorite instead of a two and a half point underdog to USF. USF certainly has looked improved in recent weeks. Um, but uh, you know, and, and Temple is is maybe not not quite as good as as uh, what their record may indicate. But we do give them a, a slight edge in that game. The all three agree. I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show that we have uh, now included home field advantage adjustments. That is no guarantee that the all three agree will be uh, you know any better uh moving ahead than it was in in the first half of the year but uh, I do think it's a, a smart move to now uh, make those adjustments especially if we are going to use that as a reason to separate a particular subset of games into you know what are supposed to be our best uh projections of the week but you know there are a couple that that wouldn't have been under the old system all three agrees but uh, we're on Charlotte uh, midseason are a uh, uh, week night game. think they'll be able to keep it within seven at home against FAU. UConn, hey, well, how about, you know, let's build some momentum after last week's win. We think they can keep it within two touchdowns against Middle Tennessee. Kansas, I don't have a lot of confidence that they'll be able to cover <laughs> against Oklahoma, but 39 is a lot of points. That's a lot of points. <laughs> it's a lot of points. Uh Texas Tech has been one our model's maybe been a little too high on. I I don't have a ton of confidence in this one either, but we do have them favored in all three models as a pick Them, I think that's up to Texas Tech now being a one-point favorite. I like Virginia Tech minus three and a half against Syracuse. I, I think even though there's maybe no actual evidence uh, that they'll be able to, you know, kind of take care of business in a game they're supposed to win, but I think Virginia Tech is is just a, you know, basically closer to a touchdown better than Syracuse, especially at home. Uh, so I think three and a half, I, I feel better about that one. Iowa has been pretty good to, or excuse me, Ohio has been pretty good to us lately. Uh, MAC underdogs have been decent to us lately, and, and we're on Ohio again, plus six as an all three agree. We didn't get a chance really to talk about the coaching changes at LSU and Washington State, but even with Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral expected to play, at least the way we're treating it, and uh, know that he's been discussed as questionable uh, early in the week because of an injury he suffered last week. Uh, even if he's at full strength, we have LSU covering in all three models, uh, the nine and a half. So, um, little little strange there. You know, when a coach gets fired, it's difficult to uh, say. Oh, is the team going to rally behind them and put a great performance, or are they going to go in the tank? Um, you just, I don't think you can. Really get a great read on that from the outside, at least from my position. Uh, but you know, maybe LSU continues its good work from last week. Maybe last week was kind of that moment where they bounced back and, and got a win they weren't supposed to. And now it'll, you know, now that it's settled, we know Edo's gone. Uh, maybe maybe they'll kind of fall in the second half. So anyway, not not a whole lot of confidence, even though Ole Miss at full strength in our numbers, we still would have LSU covering even at their greatly diminished strength with injuries and whatnot. Uh, Miami, Ohio, I think can cover the five and a half. Toledo has been an absolute pain in the ass all year.
1: Uh, (laughs) We have
0: them outright favored in two of the models and have them within one point of Western Michigan and the other. Uh, But hey, if Western Michigan wins, I think we cash our over uh, win total then, so can't really lose, I guess. Colorado plus nine. I kind of like that one. I don't know if Cal should be uh basically a you know close to a double digit favorite against anybody. Don't love Colorado. They had a great week last week. Might have been kind of a maximum opportunity, maximum effort and and then they, you know, come back to to earth a little bit, but I I feel like they can keep it within a touchdown against Cal. We'll see. Vanderbilt plus 20 and a half. That one almost wasn't the case and it would not have been uh if we didn't make the home field advantage change. We have Mississippi State favored by, I think it's 20.3 uh, officially, but that is still within the 20 and a half. So we're on Vanderbilt. Uh, FIU plus 15 hasn't been a good spot for us to be on FIU in all three agrees. Two touchdowns is a lot, but Western Kentucky is probably going to score 85 points. So uh, we'll we'll see if FIU can score 70. I don't know. Uh, TCU minus four and a half. I like that one. A lot of the same reasons why I like Virginia tech minus three and a half. I think they'll be able to get there. Uh, Utah proved us wrong last week, uh, against ASU. We're on their side this week. It is on the road, but I do think that I agree with our numbers that they're at least, uh, three points better than Oregon state on the road, though. I, you know, our numbers do like Oregon state, uh, compared to to some other projections out there so uh we'll see that that should be an interesting game late night game probably more eyes than usual on it uh but we think utah can can
1: get it done by four or more all right that is going to wrap it up for today remember you can find us all on the twitter at bogman sports for myself at cfb winning edge for nick and at xavier underscore trish G-R-I-C-H-E for xavier we hope you win all your bets and all your stuff so uh we will see you guys Next week, take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.